are in our third week of our Advent Christmas series. If you've been around, you know that. We're going to culminate that uh, this Thursday at Christmas Eve Eve, and it's going to be awesome. We've covered so far the Advent themes of hope and peace, and today we're going to unpack the Advent theme of love. Love. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but there's a lot of cultural confusion right now about what love is. Have you noticed that, right? And even the way that we tend to use that word and throw that word around in our culture, that word love, kind of lends itself to confusion about what love really is. For instance, it would not be unusual uh, if you were to have a conversation with me, just maybe maybe over the course of a five-minute conversation, for you to hear me say something like, uh, I love smoked Gouda cheese, and I love my wife. Both of those are true. I really do love smoked Gouda cheese, I think, because it tastes a little bit like bacon. And I also really, I also really, love, I also really love my wife. And I, those things are both true statements, but I, do I mean the same thing when I say I love smoked Gouda cheese and I love my wife? She's like, you, baby, you better not mean the same thing. No, they're, they're entirely different things, right? But we use that word love so casually and flippantly at times in our culture. I love bagels and I love Jesus, right? That, that it's good for us, especially during the Advent season, I think, to go back to the scriptures to understand what kind of love Jesus really ushered in 2,000 years ago when he came for the very first time. Love has been called one of the building blocks of a happy life. One of the building blocks of a happy life. I think most of us would agree with that. Every human being has a deep-seated desire to to be loved and to love. That's just kind of part of what it means to be human. But the question remains, what is love? What is love? Is love just kind of this warm, fuzzy, butterflies in your tummy feeling when you you just first start dating someone before you realize their breath really stinks in the morning too? Is that like, is that what that, what true love is? Is true love, uh, uh, is is it really the, is it like the Hallmark movie version of love? And let's, let's just kind of get this out of the way. I want you to be honest this morning. We're in church. How many of you love during Christmas season just to sit down and watch a good Christmas Hallmark movie? Just raise your hands. I'm not going to, I'm not going to shame you. Maybe. All right. All right. That, that, I got some folks in my house that love to sit down and watch a good Hallmark Christmas movie as well. I'll pray for you as I pray for them. Um, if you, listen, if you've never seen a Hallmark movie, pr- praise Jesus. And then let me, let, me just give you, let me just give you the plot line to every Hallmark movie ever so that you don't have to waste any more time in your life. So, so, so here we go. Let's see how we can do. Uh, y- young woman is a big city professional who's too busy for love. But she reluctantly takes a job in a small town bakery that her grandmother opened to try to save the family business. Where she meets an unassuming sensitive bachelor who owns a Christmas tree farm and who wears plaid all the time. (laughs) Sensitive bachelor in plaid teaches her about the true spirit of Christmas and magically and shockingly, they fall in love. Isn't that some, you didn't see that one coming, did you? It starts snowing and they share their first kiss. There's a dog in the background wagging its tail, probably a golden retriever. The end, all right, all right. You've now seen every Hallmark movie that's ever been created, all right? So you can save like 60 hours of your life and never watch another, another Hallmark Christmas movie. Now, listen, if that is your understanding of love, we have a lot to do this morning, so let's get to it. 
John, John 13, this is gonna be on the screens for you. This is uh, what Jesus says. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Which begs the question, in my mind, as I studied this week, how can we be known for something if we've never experienced that thing? And could it be that many professing Christians in the world today are not known by their love because they haven't actually ever truly experienced God's love? If you have a Bible, uh, go ahead and turn it on or open it up and go to 1 John chapter 4. Not John's gospel, but 1 John, the little one. 1 John chapter 4 in your New Testament. That's going to function as our anchor text this morning. And as you get there, let me just confess to you that for a long time, I think my, my conception of, of love was just kind of off base. You know, my, my teens, especially early, maybe even mid-20s, I, I viewed love as basically a pathway to self-fulfillment for, for me. And so my idea was, was sort of like, hey, man, if, if someone really loves me, they will live to meet all of my needs, right? And if that's kind of your view of love, I would just encourage you to get married, and that will be smashed very, very, very quickly. But I think a lot of people in our culture today, they have that view of love, which I think has partially led to the divorce epidemic in our culture. But I think even more serious than that, if we're not careful, this kind of self-focused view of love can bleed into how we view and interact with God himself to the point where we can uh, even unintentionally begin to view God as sort of this cosmic butler whose job it is to give us what we want, when we want it, how we want it. And then invariably, when that doesn't happen, we can get angry at God. Man, I see that all the time as a pastor, right? People who walk away from God, they'll abandon the church, they'll deconstruct their faith as if God somehow failed them. And the story so kind of always goes like this. Hey, look, God, I, I, I held up my end of the bargain. God, I went to church on Sunday. God, I, I tied 10%. I signed up for a serve team. I went to a small group. I sat through three years of Christmas sermons going long, week after week after week. Like I did what I was supposed to do. And I still lost my job. My business still folded. My spouse still walked out the door. My teenager still rebelled. Like, I did what I was supposed to do, God. Where are you? You failed me. And what I want to do this morning is help us avoid falling into that kind of faith-crushing, relationship-destroying trap by rightfully understanding the love that Jesus actually brought in during his first advent, the first Christmas, almost 2,000 years ago, because the reality is the type of love that he offers, guys, is so much richer so much deeper, so much more meaningful than that kind of genie in the bottle, counterfeit version of love that we get sold all the time by Hollywood or Hallmark movies or whoever it is that you're getting your definition of love from. So let's start First John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. This is the apostle uh, John writing, one of Jesus' closest friends, one of the, the inner three among the 12. Nobody knew Jesus better than John did, and, and so this is him writing to to us, to believers, followers of Jesus. This is what he says. Beloved, I love that. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And man, I, I love that John starts this section of his letter by rooting us in our true identity as followers of Jesus. Right, now, notice, he doesn't just say, hey, what's up, guys? Ladies and gentlemen, he... He calls us beloved. 
That means one who is loved by God. And so here's the first thing that I want you to see. This will be on the screens. If you're a note taker, write this down. In order to love rightly, your identity must be rooted correctly. Now guys, understand this. Your behavior will always follow your identity. Behavior always follows identity. Christian, if you don't understand that your identity is always and forever, firstly, man, I am a loved I am a beloved son. I am a beloved daughter of the king of this universe. If that is not your first identity before it's anything else, before you are white or black or brown or Asian or male or female or Democrat or Republican or uh, Tar Heel or Dookie or whatever it is, then it's going to be impossible for you to love the way that God loves. In fact, I, I, I really love that John in other places in the New Testament, he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. You kind of read that and you're like, man, that dude was arrogant. (laughs) He he walks around telling people, hey man, I'm the dude that Jesus really loved, right? And I love the fact that 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 was his primary identity marker. Before it was, I'm a Jew, before it was, I'm a man, before it was, I'm a strong kind of blue collar guy. Before it was any of those things, his primary identity was, I'm the dude that Jesus loves. I was thinking, maybe I'll start using that, man. Hey, what's your name, Bill? What's your name? I'm the dude Jesus loves. It's kind of a long first name. It's biblical, bro. It's in the Bible. You should read it sometime, right? Listen, you want to experience real love and you want to be able to share real love. Listen, get your identity rooted in the one who is love. That's John's whole point here. That's why he addresses us as followers of Jesus as beloved, the one who is loved by God. That's important. Don't miss that. Let's get back to the rest of the passage. Verse seven, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Man, that's deep. Verse eight, anyone who does not love does not know God. Ouch, because why? Because God is love. Love is not a thing. It's not just a noun. It's not even just a verb. Love is actually a person is what John is saying. Now, John, how do we know what love is, right? There's all these definitions. Is that, is it the butterfly feeling? Is it the warm and fuzzy? Like what is love? And he lays it out for us in verse nine. Watch John. He says, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that, so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God first, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation. That's just a big word that means uh, satisfying God's judgment, that Jesus came to soak up the judgment that we rightly deserve because we're all rebels and sinners. And Jesus took all of that on for us because he loves us. So John goes, hey, listen, you, you wanna know what the definition of love is? God already showed us. But he, he didn't just send us a postcard from heaven that says, hey, guys, I love you. He didn't just shout down from heaven one time, hey, guys, I, I love you. No, God actually showed up, right? Emmanuel, God with us. Guys, listen, Jesus left heaven. He came to earth. He clothed himself in humanity. He lived like we live. He suffered just like we suffer. He experienced sorrow just like we experience sorrow, all to demonstrate to us 
what love really is. And so this is truth number two. This is, kind of be, this is also going to be on the screens for you. Maybe the, the most important thing we talk about all morning. Here it is. Guys, understand this. Real love shows up. Real love shows up. Right? Love is not just liking something strongly. Like It's not just me saying, hey, I love the Alabama Crimson Tide football team or I love a good filet mignon like that. No, 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 no. That's not love. Love is not just like this, this warm, fuzzy, romantic, Hallmark movie feeling. It's deeper than that. It's, it's bigger than that. And so I've kinda, I just kind of sketched out, as I was studying this week, a, a definition of, of biblical love, and I'm gonna put that on the screens for you. And here, here's what I think biblical love is. Love is showing up for the good of another, often at great cost to ourselves. Love is showing up for the good of another, often at great cost to ourselves. I also like the way that St. Thomas Aquinas put it. Love is to will the good of the other. Now, I like my definition a little bit better, but his is pretty solid too. You can roll with either one of them. They're both accurate, right? Point is, love shows up. Love shows up. Jesus showed up, right? When he, we didn't have to, when he, when he didn't owe us anything, he loved us in our sin, in our darkness, at great cost to himself. That's love. That's what Christmas is all about, and that's why we celebrate this Advent season. Real love showed up, and his name is Jesus. Now confession time, because confession's good for the soul. It's also cheaper than therapy. I've always struggled. I've preached through uh, the Advent themes uh, three or four times in, in my life, and um, I've always struggled with the theme of love. I don't know why that is. I shared that with our elder team this last week when, when we met. We were praying for you guys and just kind of planning for the future. And, um, but, but when I get to these Advent series, I, I can get really excited about hope and I can get really excited about peace and I can get really excited about joy, which is what we're gonna talk about on Christmas Eve Eve. And, but I get to love and I'm, I start thinking like, man, I wonder what Rodney's doing this Sunday. Is he, is he tied up? Is Jonathan tied up? Maybe I can get one of the other boys to, to preach. And, uh, and again, I don't know why that is. Probably need some therapy to unpack that. But as I was talking to the elders, there, something came to my mind. Um, there was a time a few years ago where I encountered God's love in such a rich, powerful, like palpable, real, experiential way. And I was actually, I was, I was sitting in a coffee shop and I was reading through the, the book of Hosea. I don't know how familiar you are with that little Old Testament book called Hosea, but it's just, just this powerful little book. And there's this prophet um, prophet named Hosea, and God shows up one day, and he says, hey, Hosea, I want you to go and marry, I want you to go and marry this woman named Gomer. And if you know anything about the story, uh, uh, Gomer was not like a Southern Baptist Sunday school teacher, all right? She, some scholars believe that she was possibly a prostitute. If she wasn't a prostitute, she certainly was a woman who was well known for living a very promiscuous lifestyle, you just got to imagine for, for Hosea, a prophet, like a, like a pastor, to go out and, and, and pick up a, a woman from the red light district. and mar- Think about how scandalous this would have been. Right? Absolutely scandalous. Think about the whispers and the chuckles, like every time he walked down the city streets, right? And, and so I don't know what that conversation was like between God and Hosea at first. Like, God, you got to be kidding me. I'm a prophet, man. It's going to be humiliating. Are you serious? Yes, serious. Uh, I'm serious, Hosea. I want you to marry Gomer. And so, 
Hosea is obedient to the Lord and he goes and he marries Gomer and they have three kids together. Some scholars believe at least one of the kids probably wasn't even his because Gomer cheats on him again and again and again in their marriage. She chases other lover after other lover and Hosea is faithful to her through it all. Loves her. Finally, the story tells us that she leaves him and their three kids, right? And she's out living it up. They don't know where she's at. She's chasing other lovers, and she actually finds herself sold into slavery by one of her other lovers. It's a devastating story. It's a sad story. And in chapter 3, all of a sudden, God shows up, and he says to Hosea something that is absolutely unimaginable. He says, Hosea, I want you to go and find your, your wife, and I want you to love her again. I want you to go and find your wife and I want you to love her again. What was that conversation like between Hosea and God? God, are you serious? God, do you not know everything that has gone on? Do you not know how many times I've been shamed and embarrassed and people have mocked me? And she's been unfaithful again and again. Do you not know, God, that our, our kids are bullied in school? Do you not know that she's abandoned us and I'm trying to raise these kids by myself and put food on the table? What are you talking about, God? You're asking me as a prophet to go down to the red light, red light district. People are gonna talk. I don't know what that conversation was like, but I know what God's answer was. He says, Hosea, I want you to go. I want you to find your wife. And I want you to love her again, just like I love my people. And the story tells us that Hosea begins to collect all of his savings, shekels of silver, and he's still not sure if that's going to be enough to buy a beautiful woman like Gomer. And so he also begins to gather some of their food supply to go and try to buy back his wife. And so we can just kind of imagine him leaving that day, maybe hugging his kids and saying, hey, look, guys, I, I, I love you. Would, you. would you pray that I would be home tonight with your mom? As he makes his way into the bustling city center, just imagine the scene in your mind as he begins to scan the line of slaves being auctioned off that day, looking for his bride. The woman he married and loved and the mother of his kids. Mind undoubtedly racing, full of fear and sadness, maybe even excitement to see her after how many months or even years we don't know. Would she even want to be purchased back by him? Would he even have enough to buy her back? Finally, Hosea spots his wife off in the distance. We don't know. Maybe he's close enough to the auction block that he's, he's close enough to the, to the auctioneer. And maybe, maybe he tries to get his attention. Like, hey, hey, man, please. Please, man, that's, that's my wife. Look, I'll, gi I'll give you all I've, I'll give you all I've got. Would you please don't put her through this shame. And I don't care who she is, man. You can bid on her just like everybody else. And as his beloved bride got to the front of the line, was walked up onto the auction block, clothes stripped off as was the custom of the day. You can imagine the crowd beginning to look at her, maybe comment on her beauty, some of her physical features like she was an animal being sold off to the highest bidder. Just think about the desperate rage that would have swelled in Hosea's heart the brokenness of his soul, that this is, man, this is my bride. This is my wife. This is the mother of my kids, and there was nothing he could do about it. And that condition would have been almost too much to bear for Hosea, crushing in the worst way imaginable. 
And then she got walked up onto that auction block, the mother of his kids, stripped completely naked. Dirty, undoubtedly head hung in shame. She had nobody to blame but herself for being in that position. The bidding starts. One shekel of silver, two shekels of silver, three, five, seven. And suddenly out of the crowd, she hears a familiar voice. It grows louder and louder and more desperate. And she's got to be thinking in that moment, no, 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 no. No, that can't, that can't be. That can't be, Hosea. Like, I've gone, I've gone too far. I've, I've done too much. I've betrayed. That can't, that can't be, Hosea. But sure enough, she recognizes that voice. It's the same tender voice she heard whisper, I love you, on their wedding night. And as her eyes looked up and she locked eyes with her husband who loved her faithfully through all, what was that moment like when their eyes met in the crowd? Was her heart flooded with memories of their wedding day and the days that their kids were born, maybe some big holidays or family vacations, or was she overwhelmed by shame and sorrow and guilt in that moment? And the Bible tells us that Hosea buys back his own wife. He buys back what he already belongs to him. Listen, guys, love shows up. And the backstory to the whole story, the thing that wrecked me as I went through this a few years ago is that, is that Hosea is a picture of God in this story and Gomer is a picture of me. And when I got that, I'm just telling you, I was sitting in the Atlanta Bread Company and I just started weeping like a little baby. And I don't know what people thought. They probably thought I was watching a Christmas Hallmark movie or something, but I was just reading Hosea because it hit me for the first time. I'm the one who is unfaithful again and again and again. And I'm the one that chooses other lovers over God over and over again. And I'm the one that sold myself into slavery to sin. And his love was so relentless so ferocious that all of my unfaithfulness and all of my betrayal could not drive his love away from me. And he bought back what already belonged to him. Church, that's love. That's love, not the flimsy version that our culture tries to pitch us and sell us. That's the real deal. Love shows up. Even when it costs something, even when it hurts, even when it doesn't make any sense, love shows up. That is real love. That's what Christmas is all about. And John wants us to see one, one more thing. Look at, look at verse 11. He says this. He calls us by our name again, our true identity, beloved, one who is loved by God. He, want, he wants us to, to know and live out of our true identity. That's why he keeps bringing us back to this title, beloved, Beloved, if God so loved us, what should we do in response to that kind of amazing, relentless love, John? He tells us, if God so loved us like that, and he purchased what he already owned off the auction block of slavery, what should we do? John, he says, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. And so this is the last truth that I want you to see. And this is number three. It'll be on the screens for you. Love always compels love. Love compels love. Listen, when you experience 
this kind of relentless love, when you realize that you're Gomer, and that Jesus is Hosea, and that his love has been relentlessly pursuing you all the days of your life, when you see a holy God in heaven stoop down to redeem filthy people with filthy hearts and broken lives, man, that kind of love transforms you. It compels you to love other people as an overflow of that kind of love that we experience through Jesus. You see, this Christmas season, friend, that's what God wants for us. He wants our lives to be conduits of his relentless love to us, flowing from us into the world around us. And I want, I want you to know this. In light of kind of just the, the cultural spin that's out there, I, w- I want you to know that, that real love, listen to me, real love does not mean blind acceptance of all things. In fact, real love means having the hard conversation. Real love means lovingly calling out dangerous patterns in people's lives whom we love and care about deeply. So church family, I I just want you to hear me say this morning, this whole cultural wave that we're in right now that's trying to sell us the idea that in order to love someone well, you must approve of every choice in their lives. I just want you to know that is the most anti-gospel, anti-Jesus, counterfeit version of love I've ever seen in my lifetime. And the story, as I have these conversations, as I have them often with people in culture, in our church, that have that worldview of love. The story that I always come back to is the story in John's gospel. You're probably familiar with it, with a, the woman who was caught in adultery. You remember that in John's gospel? So the Pharisees, these religious guys, they, they literally catch this woman in the act of adultery and they grab her and they drag her to Jesus and they throw her at his feet. And they say, Jesus, the law of Moses says that she should be stoned, that she should be executed. What do you say? Do you remember Jesus' response? In fact, at, first, at first, he doesn't say anything. Actually, the, the scriptures tell us that he, he stoops down onto the ground and he begins to write something in the dirt. We don't know what it is that Jesus was writing. I like to think that perhaps he was writing down the Pharisees' sins. But they demand an answer. They say, Jesus, the law demands that we stone this woman. What do you say? So Jesus stands up and he says, okay, that's fair enough. That's what the law says. How about the one without sin gets to cast the first stone? And John tells us that one by one, oldest to youngest, I think that's an interesting point as well. I think the older you get, the more aware you are of how broken you are and how many sins you have in your life. But one by one, oldest to youngest, they all dropped their rocks and they walked away. And the scene ends just with this woman and Jesus, and we can imagine her shamed, naked, tears, not in the whole nine yards. She thought she was about to die. And Jesus looks at this woman and he says, lady, where have your accusers gone? Does no one condemn you? And she looks around and she goes, Jesus, no. No, no, no one condemns me. And he says these beautiful, life-giving words that are an example of love to us. He says to her, then neither do I. Go and you, you do you. Go and do you. Don't let anybody tell you what to do. You're the master of your own destiny. You're the captain of your own ship. You go to, no, that's not what he said, is it? 
you're like, man, Chris went heretical this morning. I'm, I'm, I'm going somewhere. I didn't just rewrite the Bible, I promise. No, he loves her. He saves her life. He protects her. He gives her a safe place. And then he gives her truth. He says, go and sin no more, daughter. He doesn't say, you go to you. He says, I've got a better pathway for you. I've got a pathway that will lead you to real life. Daughter, I love you so much. I want you to flourish in life and the pathway that you're on is not gonna get you there. So I love you. I'm gonna save your life. I'm gonna protect you. But then I'm gonna give you life-giving, life-saving truth. Go and sin no more. Friends, I just wanna tell you this morning, please don't buy the cultural poison that says we have to abandon God's standards to love people well. You don't. In fact, it's only by pointing people to Jesus and his ways that real love and real flourishing in this life can be found and experienced. Listen, friend, Jesus saves us where he finds us, but he never leaves us where he found us. He saves us where he finds us, but he never leaves us where he found us. He loves us too much. So brother and sister in Christ, let's learn to love well, but let's also learn to love truthfully like Jesus did. I want to close with the most famous verse probably in the entire Bible be on the screen for you John 3 16 and I want you guys to say this with me all right on the count of three this is class participation time let's go one two three for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life that's the Christmas message let me just kind of nutshell that into three kind of nice little easy to remember phrases. This is the Christmas message on the screens for you. God loved, God gave, God invites. That's the Christmas message. Friend, I want you to hear this. If you hear nothing else this morning, God loves you. He doesn't just love humanity in some sort of general sense. He, he loves you. Put your, na- put your name in that blank. He loves you. He came after you. When you were on the auction block, sold into slavery by your own choices, your own sin, your own rebellion, he came and he bought you back. Bought back what he already owned. God loves you. He loves you more than you could ever even imagine. How do you know? Because he gave. He gave his son who gave his life to set you free. And now he invites you into real life eternal life which starts now not just when we get to heaven real life real love that's what christmas is all about and so we're gonna celebrate that reality that kind of relentless love now in a tangible way as we celebrate communion the lord's supper as mike and the band come back up i want to read to you from mark 14 just to kind of set the stage for this next component of worship this is what mark writes that that final night where jesus is with his disciples showing what true love is it says this, this will be on the screens for you. And as they were eating, he, Jesus took the bread and after blessing it, he broke it and he gave it to them and he said, take this, my body. And then he took the cup and we had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And then he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn like we're about to do, they went out to the Mount of Olives and then Jesus got up. The babe born in a manger now all grown up and he went to the cross. 
and love showed up. And the world has never been the same. Let's pray and then we're going to celebrate that love showed up. Father, we come to you. We are so grateful that love showed up. When you didn't have to show up, you didn't, you didn't owe us anything, God. You could have you left us in our sin on a pathway to death, destruction, and hell. And we would have deserved every bit of that. But you loved us so much that you came from heaven, you came to earth, you lived a perfect life that we could never live. You died a bloody, painful death to pay for our sins so that we could have life, so that we could live the resurrected life beginning right now on planet earth, all the way extending into eternity with you forever and ever and ever. God, we could never thank you enough for coming, for showing up for us. God, would you help us this Christmas season especially to be conduits of your relentless love to those around us. There are so many people that we love, God, that are hurting this Christmas season, that are confused this Christmas season, that are angry, that are depressed, that are filled with anxiety, and they need your touch more than they need anything else in this world. And the thing they need most in this life is to know that there is a God in heaven who loves them. And then just say it, but he showed up. And he paid the price to redeem them, God. And so would you help us? Would you help us? Would you compel us to be conduits of your love to those around us this Christmas season? We pray and we ask all these things in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen.